Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan on 105.5 FM and 1390 AM in Washington, D.C. on every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. And you can be a part of the show, 202-521-13. And you can watch radio. That's right. You can go to Lee's personal Twitter feed, at Stranahan, where there is a fantastic Periscope feed. That's right, at Stranahan. While you're there, while you are on Twitter anyway, you might as well go to at Garland Nixon and follow me. Lee's Twitter feed, I pump it up a lot because it's really good, and it's a 20-minute segment. So if you like any particular segment, you can share that individual segment. Our Facebook live feed, of course, on, on the Sputnik News Agency's Facebook page, our Facebook live feed is three hours. It's a great feed. Looks good. You'd love it. Share that also on your platform. But Lee's also is broken up. And what, we, what, what they do, his team does, they add pictures of the people that we're interviewing. They also add uh, websites for the things that we're talking about, sometimes videos. So you get a lot of additional graphics, a lot of additional information. Make sure you share it. That's at Stranahan. Share the Periscope feed and at Garland Nixon. Follow me. You can also go to YouTube. And now, uh, Lee, uh, your 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 Periscope feed. Where can someone find that if they want to find it on um, other social media platforms? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I just uh, assume, okay. Well, we just started this morning, oh, okay. so probably my your YouTube account, my Facebook feed, probably the Populous.tv. Right. You too. I'm completely guessing, Garland. Right. I'm in the dark here. I don't well, know. Well, well okay. That's I not you. my department. Exactly. Well, I'm, we'll find I'm that in the out sitting here talking department. Oh, okay. I have people who handle all those things. You're as they as they progeny, as, bickering progeny. As they say in the in the in the in the uh, the the, uh, the the news business. There's a little. You're OAP man. There was a little bit of the scuffle this morning between my sons over the uh, feed. Oh gosh. So you're OAP. You're on air personality. Oh, is that? That's right. You're that's the better talent. than OPP. That's right. Oh, Which yeah, is, yeah. Other people's No, yeah, property. we won't do that. You're not by nature. Yeah. Stretch. Stretch. Exactly right. Yes. Yeah. So our guy isn't, isn't, isn't quite, it doesn't appear quite. Well, that's fine. So let's, let's, uh, let's, well, we were talking in the break. We almost broke into the break a little bit. We were talking more about that, that Soros thing. And I got it. This is, so here's my concern. It's a broad conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah broad conversation. This is my concern. Okay. My concern is that the left. See, in other words, ask yourself a question, because you've seen it. How did the left become, like, how did Rachel Maddow and MSNBC become the party pushing the the CIA? Does that make sense? Like, who's traditionally been against the CIA, the Democrats or the Republicans? The church committee was Democrats. What I'm saying is, think about this from a strategy point of view, Right. Soros and these other institutional groups have managed to take out the biggest block of opposition to, like the CIA thing. The CIA thing, if if this were 1979, the Democrats would be all over the CIA thing. Does that make sense? We're about to, they're about to nominate a woman whose nickname in the CIA, by other CIA people, was Bloody Gina. Because she oversaw torture, because she had to do with it. And by the way, did you see ProPublica got a story wrong about this? No. And now people are saying that the stories about Bloody Gina were fake news. That's what the media is reporting. Well, it's, uh, well we've they're got They're not plenty. fake. They're, wait, let's just, uh, before we get to our guest, right. I just want to say this. They're not fake news. If anyone thinks the stuff about Gina, Hasbeth, is 
fake. Listen to our John Kiriakou interview from yesterday. Right. That's what the media is not telling you. And this is from a guy who was a CIA officer. Exactly. Michael ne- M- Michael Nevidakras, producer and hoster of Dialogue Radio, and he is a writer on Mint Press. Welcome to Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan. Hi, good morning. Glad to be with you. Good morning. Now, so, are you are you in Greece? Yes, I'm in Athens. Okay. That's really cool. We so, always like uh, having people from places. Exactly. So let me, let me just ask one, before we get to sure, the... Sure, go ahead. Go ahead. So, I just want to ask a broad question. So how's the EU thing working out in Greece? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question, actually. Uh, that really depends on who you ask, but from my point of view, it's not working out very well for Greece. Uh, it hasn't been working out very well, and it continues not to be uh, a good thing for the country. And I can I can elaborate as to why, but... Uh, Look, yeah, give, us, give us a quick version, because I do want people to understand, that's why I ask whether you're in Greece, what's going on. And by the way, if you were in Germany... Your answer might be a little different. You work for a big bank in Germany. Because the EU's worked out pretty well for Germany. So, but you're saying it hasn't hasn't worked out as well in Greece. Why is that? Well, I'll give two examples. Let me start with the European common currency, the, the euro. Uh, Greece has been a member of the eurozone since uh, 2001, introduced the currency in 2002. And what having the euro means for uh, for Greece or for any country is that the country no longer has control over its fiscal and monetary policy. So why has that been a problem in the case for Greece? In in the case of Greece, it has been a problem because when the economic crisis reared its head in 2009, 2010, uh, Greece was not able to make the fiscal and monetary adjustments that it would have been able to if it had its own currency. It was not able to devalue its currency to make the debt burden less of a burden. Uh, It was not able to do a lot of things that it would have been able to do if it had the drachma, if it had full control over its fiscal and monetary policy. Everything has to go through the European Central Bank uh, in Frankfurt. Um, and indeed, as a result, because Greece was, uh, did not have control over its own currency, um, and because the government at the time was very much wedded to the European idea and to remaining a part of the European Union, that's how Greece ended up with the first memorandum agreement in 2010 that brought the first set of austerity measures and cuts to Greece, and since then, two more austerity agreements have followed. I'll give a second example, too, that has to do with European Union membership and not Eurozone membership. Uh, Greece has been a member of the EU since 1981. And one of the many, many different types of policies that the European Union has is the so-called common agricultural policy, which pretty much sets quotas from country to country, uh, what agricultural products to produce, what not to produce, how much of each product to produce, where those products can or cannot be exported and in what quantities and so forth. Farmers are paid to produce certain crops. They're paid not to produce certain crops or not to grow anything at all in certain seasons. And what this has done for Greece is the following. In 1981, Greece was mostly self sufficient in terms of its nutritional needs. Today, uh, it is self-sufficient in some sectors, but in many other sectors, it is not because it has had to follow EU 
dictates as to what it can and cannot produce. And I'll give an example here. In the year 2000, which was before Greece joined the Eurozone, Greece was fined, I believe it was something the equivalent of three, three and a half million dollars for overproducing milk and dairy products. In other words, going over the EU-imposed quotas. So on the one hand, Greeks are told that the country doesn't produce anything, that it cannot survive without the European Union, uh, that it relies on imports. At the same time, the European Union, through its policies, um, is a, a main factor behind this, uh, with the example that it gave regarding milk production, telling Greece that you can't produce more than a certain level of milk. So it, it, it's really uh, quite contradictory, and it's been very harmful for the Greek economy and for the Greek people. Well, it, it sounds to me something like, you know, I've heard it said that there were people in the EU that said what they wanted eventually was like a United States of Europe. It sounds like it's something far worse than a United States of Europe because the country, the states in the, it sounds to me like the states in the U.S., even though they're under one federal government, have a lot more freedom to do what they want to do than even the countries in the EU. That sounds to me like, I mean, it, my immediate thought is Greek is not a sovereign. Greece is not a sovereign nation. If you do not control your monetary policy, you do not, you know, in your fiscal policy, and you do not control um, your agricultural output, and your, you, that you're not, a, you're not a sovereign financially, fiscally, or economically. You're no longer a sovereign nation. I agree. And Greece no longer is a sovereign nation. And and one example, of course, is the issue of fiscal and monetary policy. But there's other related examples as well. Uh, Greece, through the three memorandum agreements that it has signed, including the 2015 agreement that was signed by the current uh, government led by the supposedly leftist Syriza government, has basically uh, conceded much of its remaining national sovereignty. Uh, the country's budget and major spending bills have to be approved by the Troika, the so the so-called Troika, which is comprised of the European uh, Commission, the European Central Bank, and the International Monetary Fund. Um, Greece has turned over uh, pretty much the entirety of its public assets, whether it's public lands or the public power company, the electric company, or all sorts of other significant assets to what is essentially a private fund that will operate them and which can privatize them in earnest uh, for the next 99 years. Uh, so we have a situation here where even significant laws within the country cannot be passed if the European Union and the Troika uh, does not approve of those laws. So if you look at things from that perspective, then a country like Greece actually has less sovereignty than a U.S. state, which has uh, a full ability to pass its own laws. Wow, this is this is a, a, a pretty interesting because here's what happens in the U.S. And, and, and abroad. And I guess it's, you know, the, the European Union's, you know, the stories they want to get out. And that is um, you, uh, Greece is a screwed up country and they've made all these errors and they've screwed themselves up and that the EU is trying to fix it and bail them out because they were, you know, they, they, they weren't reasonable with their fiscal policies. And now they're in a jam and, and we're just trying to fit, but trying to bail them out. Mm -hmm. That is what is pushed by the EU as the argument. Like. So what is your argument against that? 
premise that they push throughout here and, and around and, 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 and nation and excuse me worldwide well i don't think anyone would disagree that uh there wasn't uh, corruption in greece and that uh, there wasn't mismanagement in greece but greece is not the only country where there is corruption or mismanagement in at a very high level in fact but um i'll point out something that is really very significant, but which has gotten very little media attention, uh, not just outside of Greece, but even in Greece. Uh, there have been accusations made by whistleblowers, uh, and specifically two members uh, who were uh, on the board of Greece's statistical authority. Uh, they have come out uh, a few years ago and made allegations that uh, around the time that the crisis began in earnest in Greece, 2009-2010, a new president uh, was installed uh, in the Hellenic Statistical Authority who was a former IMF employee, and he came in and under his watch, the whole manner in which Greece's debt and deficit figures were calculated was altered. Now, listeners uh, might be thinking, if they're familiar even a little bit with Greece, they might be thinking, oh, uh, that's when Greece fudged the numbers and said that the economy was better than it was. No, actually, the whistleblowers uh, have, uh, have been uh, saying, and they've presented a lot of evidence to, to, uh, to back up these assertions, that when this I former IMF employee came in and took over the Hellenic Statistical Authority, uh, and this was under EU demands, by the way, uh, Greece's debt and deficit figures were worsened quite significantly. I believe the deficit, for instance, went from 6% of GDP to 13% and then to 15% of GDP. And what this did was it provided the political excuse to then drag Greece under a regime of economic oversight, of austerity, to bring in the first memorandum agreement. And the the end game here was to lead to the privatization of Greece's major public lands and assets because Greece geographically is in a very strategic location. Um, it is a country that has great potential in terms of solar power, wind power. They're said to be uh, oil and gas reserves uh, under the seabed. Uh, there's, of course, great potential with tourism uh, and a lot of public lands that were not really being, <laughs> from an economic perspective, uh, being developed sufficiently. Yeah, people were just, like, wandering around in the beautiful countryside enjoying it. You can't have that. You can pave that and build something. <laughs> and so what you're saying is make, make Greece great again. That's what, you're, <laughs> that's, what, that's what it sounds like you're getting at, right? <laughs> There's a lot of people that would like to make Greece great again because, you know, I was listening to Radio Sputnik earlier and I, I heard this report about Finland being the happiest country in the world. People in Greece, uh, I have to be very honest here, they're not very happy. And this is, this is a country that used to have a very low suicide rate, for instance. Now it's quite high. There's been over 20,000 suicides uh, during the eight years of the crisis. You go out on the street here in Athens, and most people are just withdrawn. Uh, they're, they look quite miserable, in fact, because most people are having a very difficult time getting by. When the minimum wage in Greece in terms of real purchasing power is now at the level of Estonia, 
that kind of blows up any argument about uh, Greece benefiting from its membership in the European Union and the Eurozone. Greece's real minimum wage was higher. This is according to uh, OECD figures. In the year 2000, when Greece still had the drachma, than it is today in 2018 with the euro. So people in Greece are unhappy. Uh, there's just a lot of misery. Over 500,000 people have, have left the country. They call it the brain drain, uh, you know, looking for better opportunities overseas. Uh, quick question. Well, Garland, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been to a Greek restaurant. Have you ever been to a yeah, Greek, Greek restaurant? They throw plates. Have you seen that where they throw the plates? No. This is the thing that the, the thing that they do with their plates in sort of celebration. I thought that and was like a wedding. Now they're doing it because they're just mad. They're yeah, just exactly. throwing plates because <laughs> they're upset. <laughs> I got a, a question, and that is: so in some of the European elections, and most of them now, we're seeing an anti-EU movement amongst voters, um, and it seems to me like amongst the you know the working class, amongst the the working poor, the poor, you know what I mean, the middle class throughout Europe. There's kind of an anti-EU kind of fervor going on. Um, it, you know, it, it, does that surprise you that that's going on, or maybe talk about your little your, your, talk a little bit about your thoughts on on, on that? What it, well, you're in Europe. You can tell me. Does it appear the same way to you? It does appear the same way to me, and and I think that um, the example of Finland, notwithstanding, there is a lot of unhappiness throughout the European continent. Of course, the reasons for that vary from country to country, but there are countries that are having similar economic difficulties to Greece. So we do know about the examples of uh, Portugal and Spain and Ireland, where there's also been a great brain drain, and Italy to to a very large extent. And of course, we saw their election results there uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, there's also the issue of migration, and that is a big issue, of course, uh, in much of Europe. It's an issue in Greece as well, because Greece is at the front lines of this wave of migrants coming into the European uh, continent. Many, many of them are coming into Greece through Turkey. Uh, it's a very short passage uh, across the water from Turkey to the Greek islands. And then from there, they make their way, in many cases, into uh, the mainland, uh, into Athens and other parts of Greece. And this has happened at a time where Greece can barely support support and sustain even its own uh, domestic population. And it, it's really hard to get a, a sense of how many migrants are in Greece. I've heard numbers that are wildly divergent, everything from 40,000 to 800,000. And I really don't know what the exact figure is, to be quite honest, but I do know it's significant. And it's really putting a strain on the country's resources at a time where uh, there's still over 20% unemployment at a time where young people uh, can't find jobs for more than 100 or 200 euros a month part-time. Uh, it's really making things very, very difficult for Greece. Well, well, Michael, we're out of time. Tell people where they can find your stuff, by the way, where they can find your writing. Well, I, uh, I am the editor of the newly launched HellenicInsider.com, and I am also the producer and host of Dialogos Radio, which is at Dialogos, D-I-A-L-O-G-O-S, media.org. Well, Michael, you've been a great guest. We need to bring you on again because we didn't even get into the turkey stuff, really. But we love having people on. That's his website, a picture Ooh. of us on it. 
Oh, really? Don't Look get at that. I wish it was a better picture of me, but okay. <laughs> I appreciate it. But wait, great guest. We yes. always love having people from different countries on to talk about their experiences and to give us firsthand knowledge. We got our last hour of the week coming up. Hollywood's in the studio. You listen to Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan.